Okay, record. Um, so what was I saying? Property rights. Oh yeah, the banker. So you can put your money into a demand deposit and get it back at any time, no problem. Or a third option is we can give you a term deposit. Now term deposit means it's going to stay with us for a while and you're not entitled to it uh, until the term is over, but we can offer you a significantly higher income or return interest rate related. And of course the bank takes uh, a little, little sh a hunk of each of those things for their services, and that's fine. So let's suppose, and again I'm going to keep the numbers really simple, this, the red stuff is demand, the green stuff is term. So all these guys walk in, all ten of them, and they all have a thousand, and they all say, oh, well, cash, yeah, I might need some to survive, to pay my rent, out. so uh, uh, 200 in here and 800 in there, across the board. So what happened here? Well, there's been, at the end of the day, there's 8,000 units in the green stuff and 2,000 in the red stuff, right? So 2,000 goes in here and 8,000 goes in there. So we just put this number up. Okay, done. So what does the bank do with this? In fact, what is the bank obliged to do with this? Put it out at a higher interest. That's what they promised you. So they lend it out to other people, which is the group B here. And guess what? They want to do the same thing. You know, there's not 10 of them now, there's only eight, because there's only 8,000. that clear? Okay, so eight guys in this row, or eight people, they decide the same thing. This level, you've got 6,400. And I didn't go all the way down, but you can see there's diminishing returns, and this money can be lent out, lent out multiple times until it becomes not worth lending out. No problem. Can there be a run on the bank? No. No. What? I want my green money back, my term deposit. Oh, sorry, you signed the contract. Or no, I insist. Well, there's going to be a penalty involved or something. Rightfully so. And of course, I'm painting a static picture of a dynamic process because this goes on every day and people take money and borrow money and deposit money. The, the crux of the matter is they decide individually what to do with their money. Not the banker, not Bernanke, not somebody up there. So watch this. The economy looks a little bit shaky. Um, some saber rattling is going on. Interest rates are, you know, my new deposit here, I, I, I want 30%, I want 300 cash and only put 700 in here. Everybody decides the same thing. Well, now these numbers are all different, aren't they? And if you take all these, aver if you take these averages or this aggregate and you take the ratio, you'll find 20% or 30% or 15% or 10% or whatever is the ratio. Anybody give me a name for this ratio? Reserve ratio. Reserve ratio. But that's not what it, what, that's not what it really is. It's just, oh, I'll, I'll, if we multiply and divide and all this, that's the number we get. But once the banks grab it and they say, it's not your money, it's our money, and we'll decide what to do with it, then you have to have a reserve ratio. So let's suppose the natural market equilibrium or what have you would be for 
and it's Swiss money and it's backed by gold and we got the best Swiss money and it's 40% backed by gold. Well, that's 10% too much. There's some money that's tied up unnecessarily in spite of the fact that all these guys instantly suddenly want all their money, there would still be some excess. And the other guys uh, were a little more aggressive, uh, only 25%. And then if people start wanting their money, for some reason, they lent out more. And they don't have the cash. Oops. Well, of course, that's where the central bank kicks in. If one bank has a run, the central bank helps them out. Fair enough, fair enough, except it's wrong. And, well, when I was a I'm sure many of you, when you went to school, you learned that, oh, the central banker is a little last resort, thank goodness, if there's a financial problem, <laughs> the bank will lend them and save us. It's the last resort. I said, okay, we're safe. Well, I grew up and learned more, and I said, well, wait a minute, think outside the box. What if the central bank doesn't have enough money or cash or so on to lend anymore? What then? Here we are. Here we are. So this invasion of property rights caused this. And of course, the bankers have an incentive to lend out more money than the market calls for. That being savers versus um, borrowers, if you will. And it's arbitrarily assigned. And right now in the world, they're scrambling around like crazy to raise the the reserve ratio because it was virtually zero and now they want 9% capital and who knows what, and it ain't there. Even under a paper system. So, I want to add one more thing to this because I, I just, if you have this situation, why is it okay to put 30% <coughs> or sorry, 60% or two-thirds backing behind demand deposits with bills and not with bonds? You say, well, wait a minute, there's not 100% gold reserve there. What if everybody on the planet wanted a gold instantly? Like, come on, well, first of all, they couldn't walk through the door fast enough. These things mature into gold within no more than 91 days. So the average portfolio of the bank is like 45 days. Every day, bonds, or sorry, bills mature. They turn into gold automatically through consumer spending. They don't have to be sold. These things have to be sold. And what if somebody doesn't want to buy them? And what if their capital values have shifted, which can happen the longer term the bond is, the more this can change. That's not good. You can't put long-term instruments behind uh, demand deposits, but you can certainly do this. Certainly do this. And, uh, you know, I could go on with this. There's more here. There's kind of like a, um, a path here, if you will, an arbitrage between gold and bonds, the professor was talking about that, buying and selling, and what does this represent, this money here? It's savings, it's people accumulate money or hoard it. We say, well, instead of hoarding it, I'm gonna buy a bond and get some interest, get some income. And the bondholder says, instead of hoarding money for, or the, the one who wants to borrow the money, says, instead of accumulating for 15 years, I just promise these guys a return on their money, and I make a higher return because I'm in equities, I'm a, I'm a manufacturer, I make 10% instead of 5%, we're in business. So savings fuels this, right? 
and interest rates versus savings. Savings have nothing to do with this side. Let me just write this on here. This is spending. And this one is saving. Spending, buying stuff, saving is not buying stuff. Wow, those are completely different things, aren't they? This is hoarding, hanging on to that stuff. Hoarding goods, present goods. This is saving or putting your money to work or call it investing, I don't care what you call it. And this is spending. So the discount rate is balanced or determined by the propensity to spend and by, you know, the opposite side, uh, the demand and so on. Here is propensity to save. So they're quite disparate. They're, they're, it's very legitimate to break these two things apart as uh, qualitatively different. In the bond market, it's only quantitative differences. A little longer term, a little higher risk. Uh, you know, it's an analog thing. A little more interest on the longer term instrument, blah, blah, blah. You know, Greek debt has a higher interest rate because it's not as safe, etc. None of that here. And the final thing, there is no connection or should not be a connection here. Because if you do, you have what's called illicit uh, uh, arbitrage. You know, it's illicit. This is what the banks, what the banks really want is to borrow at the very, very low bill rate and lend out at the much higher bond rate. And that's where the problems, that's where the temptation is. And, and you, you don't do this. You have to go through the money. And that's why these bills are never rolled over. They're simply turned into gold on maturity. If they're rolled over, they're fraudulent. Now bonds maybe can be rolled over. Yeah, you, you know, you want more time, the collateral is there, or it's not enough collateral, or your interest rates might change. Okay, different set of circumstances. Three-legged stool. Okay with that? And here, this goes away, and the bank decides what to do, and you've got your four-legged stool, which starts to rock. And uh, this happened back in the 1600s, and if it hadn't happened, there would have been no business cycle, which was the first, there was the flaw in the gold standard. Oh, the gold standard is defective. Let's get rid of it. There's a moat in your neighbor's eye. There's a beam in ours. All that. And just kind of going through the history of this from the 1600s, whatever, until uh, the breakup of the bimetallic system that again, Professor talked about was almost, what, 200 years. And so the gold standard wasn't even fully developed yet. Already that, that uh, property right uh, encroachment was on the books. And then think about what he said before. He said 80% of the circulating currency of this, of the money, 80% was, was white. But somehow the gold standard survived. It survived this trashing because that leg was still there. Gold was there. And gold took on that stress 
and gold circulated faster. And why did it, how could it survive? Because 90 or 99% of the transactions are funded here, not here. Okay. So you, you cut 80% of this, you're only cutting eight or, or less percent of the total uh, money. Well, I'm looking at money slightly differently, but way of funding stuff. And then what happened, of course, was uh, really a wealth transfer. Those who held silver, the little guys, were shafted. And those who held gold, the big guys, were not. Or in fact, the gold side probably got more purchasing power because there was more demand for gold and so on and so forth. And yet the gold standard survived. So this was the first, fa the first fatal stab was the, the, the property rights thing. And this cutting this off was not very nice. But it managed to survive, and the thing bad about that was besides the shafting, was the precedent, well, the government decides what is money. Well, no. It just said, well, we're not going to use the silver, we're going to use the gold. It was still a metallic standard, just not bimetallic. And of course, the problem was that the fixed ratio between the two. So let's go towards World War I. You know, the war clouds are on the horizon. And everybody knew that wars, everybody knows that wars are enormously expensive. And the pundits were predicting that a war could not last more than a few months because the combatants would go bankrupt. Their treasuries would empty. And sure enough, leading up to the war, all the treasuries were calling in their gold, their, their debts, to fill up the treasury with gold. That was peanuts. Not enough. So legal tender laws were passed. I think about this. Legal tender laws were passed that says, nah, these two things are the same. A future good is now a present good. That piece of paper is now money because we said so. Ooh. And redeemability became a question mark. And for a while, of course, gold coins were still there and people were able to exchange their paper for gold. See, it's as good as gold. We can change it any time, no problem. Of course, the reality was that tremendous amounts of paper started to be created. And again, this is unknown out there, that legal tender laws were passed, forcing paper to the status, or trying to force paper to the status of gold. And there came World War I. And of course, the leg was chopped off. No more bill circulation. That 90% or whatever, 99%, of funding disappeared and it had to be supported by the new paper, which was under government and bank control. So it's another grab of power, another grab of from the merchants and all the people all over the world selling and buying stuff, it now goes to somebody's powerful hands. Just as property rights says, no, 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 it's not your money anymore, it's the bank's money, we decide what to do with it. No, 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 you don't make terms and we'll decide how much commercial credit there is and what it costs you. <coughs> Okay, so now when they tried to go back on gold, so-called, they failed. And not just because of this, remember the gold standard survived even though 80% of the money disappeared. Now it did not survive because there was no more bill circulation to support it. <laughs> See, we told you it doesn't work, out, no more gold. And of course along comes Mr. Nixon, and he cut the last official link. Now you go even one step further out of the box, there is still an unofficial link, obviously people can still buy gold, not so easy, and there's gold futures market, and gold is kind of back there. But when 
I don't want to say or if true bipartition occurs and gold is unavailable at any price, then the last trace of it disappears from the system. Now what's going to collapse? The gold or the paper? <laughs> gold will not collapse. Oh, well golly, maybe I should have some. <laughs> okay, so how are we doing for time here? Give me a second here to check my notes and see if I forgot anything. I think we covered it all pretty well. You know, all these things are explained in a lot of detail on the websites and so on. There's some of them in my book as well. Uh, clearing, uh, so on and so forth, short-term self-liquidating. Yeah, mobile flows of capital versus fixed capital, sunk capital long-term. Sunk capital is interesting because they had things called sinking funds that were set up to support the price of the bonds in case of fluctuations so those widows and orphans who depend on it for their livelihood are not hurt. Well, these guys are not going to hell. The ones today are going to the hottest corner of hell reserved for those who prey on widows and orphans, doing God's work. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, well, this arbitrage, fourth leg, Y'all clear on the fourth leg that it's money not supported by this or by gold, but it's kind of coming from this side, which is illicit, because it's illiquid, it has to be rolled over, it, it, you know, and sinking funds aren't there, and the value of it could go up and down. So, to recap, how do we get back, how do we, where do we go? Well, number one, restore property rights to money to avoid excess creation, the boom bust credit cycle, the first sin, if you will. And, and what is it, MF Global now, it's not just money that's being um, commingled, but contracts are being commingled, and of course it's theft, no question. Restore money as distinct from debt. There must be an extinguisher of debt, else debt grows with no bounds. While the bounds will be the collapse, because it can't go forever. Restore real bill circulation to fund consumer goods. Restore power of consumers in the wage fund. All those functions. Consumers set the rates. Savers set the rates here. Consumers set the rates there. And lenders, borrowers, or, or, or actually depositors set the, rate, the reserve ratio. All the aspects of the, of the market are self-contained, built in, Feedback loops. Anybody care what a feedback loop is? Yeah? It's like a thermostat on your wall. You set the temperature, it starts to get cold in the room, kicks in the furnace, brings it back. Temperature goes up, kicks in the air conditioner, brings it back. So it's steady, built in. And if you cut the wires to that, guess what? Well, either the house will get hot or cold. Or if you, if you reverse the polarity, it could be runaway heat, positive feedback. It's getting hot, turn the furnace on. You've got that. Let's borrow some more positive feedback. Run away. Okay? So, once this happens, we have a stable, honest system. Now, there's no more derivatives tower because most of these derivatives are attempts to stabilize this rocking stool. Uh, gambling, dishonest energy. It's another thing. Human energy is being put into creating the latest variation on a derivative instead of inventing a new gasoline engine that's more efficient or a new source of energy or food supply or building dams in India or God knows what the world needs, lots of things. Uh, 
Professor also makes a distinction between speculation and gambling. Speculation is sort of hedging risk against naturally occurring stuff like house insurance. Uh, gambling is betting on human created risk, artificial risk, uh, interest rate risk. Well, interest rates are set by the bank, so you're gambling. Forex, forex risk, uh, forex values are set by the bankers, so you're gambling. Whereas wheat prices are determined by nature, by rain or, or trees or what have you. Human resources need to focus on the real economy, not focus on how to beat the system in the financial casino. That's what I say. Okay. So maybe we'll take a break then and uh, some questions after. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. A question here, a couple of little things I, I should add. I mean, there's so much more to talk here, but uh, when we talked about, first of all, Everybody thinks the world needs banknotes, dollar bills. Well, no. I mean, hundreds of years, God knows, thousands of years, humanity did very well, thank you, with coins, bills, and that was it. And of course, bonds, borrowing. Without banknotes. So, uh, before World War One, or before banks came along, the only problem with these things is they come in weird numbers. Like I, I said, $60,000 for... 30,000 liters of gasoline, but the real price was $2.22 per liter, so the bill would be $66,322. And you know, you pass it on to the next guy, and then you gotta figure this all out and net it out and blah, blah, blah. So the bank says, look, we'll issue standard denomination notes, large size notes, and there you go, we, we give you a service. And perhaps as well, if somehow that bill were fraudulent or failed, that one thing will stand behind it, and we put our name behind it. Okay, so there's value added. Now, when the bill, uh, or when the um, legal tender laws were passed, small denomination banknotes went into circulation because otherwise. They can't really circulate from people's pockets. They want to buy a loaf of bread and they've got a 30,000 note, you know. And this, of course, was also a problem. And this went along with the game of fooling people that these paper notes were as good as money. And then, uh, yeah, so, uh, Philip, you got your question there? Or you had yeah, there? I have a couple if I could be great. Sure, please. Um, start with one. All right, I'll start with one, yeah. The four legged stool. The last leg of the stool, you uh, showed the, your um, sort of debunking of the fractional reserve banking system, which I got. Yes. I was left a little vague as to exactly what the fourth leg of the stool was. Okay. You pointed to that and said, that's the fourth leg of the stool. Okay. I didn't quite get that. Okay. Well, if, if hope, okay, let's go back to that thing and maybe a little more juice there. Be very clear, demand, this is the demand portion, this is the term <coughs> portion. Okay, so the customer, the depositor, specifies to the bank this red chunk, which is whatever percentage he chooses, will go into demand, and this green chunk, just the arbitrary color, goes into term. And uh, any bank notes issued, if they're issued, they don't have to be, but if they are, must be coming from this red only because those are the quick turning over, liquidating stuff. Now, you say, well, you know, what if everybody in the world wants 
What if all the bank people want their money? He said, I said, and I didn't say this. This is the, the, the Deutsche uh, Reich, Reich Bank. Reich Bank. Reich, whatever. Before World War I, their, uh, not directed, but suggestion to, their, to those banks was keep your backing 30%, 33% bills and 66%, and I'm sorry, 33% gold, 66 bills. So let's, but let's suppose, push the envelope a little bit. Oh, a bunch of people want their money out of that bank. And they've got a bunch of bills. Well, they're maturing, but it's going to take 30, 60 days to mature. And, 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 and the gold's slipping out the door. Well, they go to the bill market and rediscount this bill. Rediscount. It's not the same as selling. What it means is some other people out there, and, and, and don't forget another thing. It's not just bankers who hold this. In fact, hardly. Most of these bills are held by merchants, by the gas station, by the cabbage seller, etc., etc. And all these guys are looking for bills because it's a it's a an earning asset, and more you know there's more stuff here. Seasonality, for example, someone who sells fuel wants inventory and so on for the winter, but not in the summer. So what does he do with his business in the summer? He doesn't want to shut it down per se. He puts his money into bills buys them or, or, or whatever you want to call that term and they sit there growing and maturing and when the time comes for him to order inventory he turns turns around and takes the gold and buys the inventory so this is primarily a business driven thing and it's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's an endless market because when people don't want to buy bonds they don't buy bonds they can hoard but they must eat and that food will command bills, okay? So that's the thing, you go out there, that one bank having the run will easily, easily, you know, exchange their bills for gold. No central bank required. The bank across the street says, oh, you got some? Bring it over. Or the merchant or whoever. But again, the market is, takes care of itself. Does that answer the question, Philip? No. No, sorry. Um, the fourth leg. Ah, the fourth leg. That was the other question. Okay. It was the only question I asked you, sir. Yeah. The fourth <laughs> In my mind, there's two questions. The fourth leg is banknotes issued without bill or gold backing. Fiduciary. Well, that's my definition of usury. Right. The, the definition of usury is not the percentage, whatever, that the market demands. It's Bringing money out of thin air and then charging yeah. for it. Okay. That's usually good. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but again, if the bank in his, in his portfolio has bonds, presumably, primarily, whatever, treasury bonds, government bonds, and issues notes against that, that's the fourth leg. It's and illiquid. It, it's it's illiquid, and it's arbitrary, yeah. and it's unnecessary, and it's illicit, and it's, it's, it's the beginning of the slippery slope. It, it, uh, you know, I hope I'm getting that point across. Um, and the government loves that because they get to have this cash they can spend. But, and, and let's put it this way, if you've got this enormous world economy and 1% is government debt, you've taken a little step on that slippery slope, but what the heck? Well, what the heck is you're not at zero anymore, you're at some number. So there's been an uh, Aristotelian logic change. And then next year is 2%. And next year is 20 
and today it's 220, or it's infinite, because it's all here, none there. So you see you're already in the smelly sulfur stuff. Okay. Sadeep, um, I think you had something? Yeah, it's just a comment, really. I mean, um, you said that um, if you had your money in a demand, a demand deposit, it, it might still be in um, a mixture of gold and bills. Mm -hmm. But the way it used to work was that you walked in olden days, mm -hmm. you walked into a bank and the standard deposit time would be a 91-day deposit. Mm -hmm. Very few people would actually leave their money on current accounts or sort of on demand deposits. You know, you keep that very minimal. Sure. You'd get charged. Yeah, I mean, charged for that, obviously, because it's like a warehouse. Yeah, that's your warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Guys, I don't know at all, believe me, and I, where did I start this talk with? I said, figure it out for yourselves, and please tell me, because I learned some more. Uh, I, by the way, if you want to learn more about this, from a uh, guy who was living this, there's a book out there by um, Anderson, yeah. you know about that. Benjamin Anderson. Benjamin Anderson was a banker, and God help us, an honest banker. There were such people. He's obviously deep now. Yeah. Well, you got that right. <laughs> If he weren't that, they'd shoot him. Anyway, and he lived through this uh, birth of the Federal Reserve and all this stuff. And, and not only him, but other honest bankers approached the Fed and he said, Guys, you're putting too much excess credit into the system. This is dangerous. And they didn't listen. And within a year and a half, the thing collapsed. The, uh, the Great Depression started. And, and of course, everybody blames it on gold. But it's not the gold. And it's not the legitimate bonds, and it's not the bills, it's the illegitimate issuance of banknotes backed by promises, and the time, uh, by the time different, temporal difference, that those banks could not be turned into cash. Because, let's face it, how will the Treasury pay its bill? The Treasury issues a bill. Well, collect it from taxes. But well, how long does that take? Well, maybe years. Maybe decades, maybe forever, maybe never, obviously. But it doesn't happen now. And you talk about if there's a run on the bank, this takes care of it instantly. This doesn't, cannot. Even if you've got unlimited taxing power, and, and of course the other thing is the printing power, but then you're actually making this worse and worse and worse because there are more and more bonds that are backing more and more backing, more and more paper notes. Okay? that make sense? Yeah. Just wanted to comment. I think the term that you and Philip were looking for was fiduciary media. Yes. That's the description of the fourth leg has a name. It's called fiduciary. But uh, uh, Rudy heard the word usury. Oh. You, you didn't say usury? I said fiduciary. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's a good word, too. Fiduciary, the Italian guy, <laughs> is <laughs> promise. <laughs> we promise to pay you. I'm glad they pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, you know, wimpy, olive oil and, and uh, Popeye. So fiduciary is, is a promise. And again, uh, where did I put that? Promises, future goods are all promises. And there's a grade of promises from really, really good, excellent, the best, the best paper possible. Is it perfect? No, nothing is. But best possible, and it gets worse and worse and worse up to, uh, well, not even no intention of paying it, never mind capability of paying it, no mechanism for paying it. What the heck else is there? Uh, yes. No, 
need you solve I have one other little question from that because one. I meant to look at the right because I can't read it from here. What does it sound of future goods? It looks like promises. 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 <laughs> 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 The IOUs. I thought this is like another book, but it's Beyond Mises and then it's Pro Mises. Beyond, Beyond Mises, very good. Beyond Fekete, I don't know, who knows what I'm Yes, sir. Breakdowns in the system that happen, say, you know, dude doesn't pay his bond back or... or in here? ...doesn't clear because the... Well, 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 okay. It's, it's not going to be the same scenario, but... Yeah, sure, no, it's yeah. not. Okay, start yeah. with the first one and move on to the second. Perfect, yes. Oh, you want me to give yeah, an action? Yeah, so okay. so well, that doesn't repay his borrowing because he can't. Okay, well, you know, there's a breakdown there, there's liquidity gets sucked out, or whatever yes, happens. Okay, the question is what if the bondholder can't pay his bond? The answer is that the bond issuer grabs the collateral. End of story. Now, if a bunch of them do that, then a bunch of collateral starts to be grabbed. And if the collateral happens to be a bunch of real estate, real estate prices might start to drop, and the collateral might be underwater. Does that sound familiar? Because there's too much pressure here. And the other side, the litmus test is the gold, and it's the merchandise. So let's suppose you're shipping coffee from Brazil to France and so on, and the bill would have information on the source, the destination, the grade, the date, and insurance papers attached to it. Right. So be insured. And, so and legitimately insured if the ship sinks, it's paid off. Yes, yeah, so insurance works in that, yes. in that market. You bet. Yeah. And it's legitimate. It's like fire insurance. That's legitimate until the arsonists run the insurance company. At yeah. that point, it's not legitimate anymore. Yeah. Did uh, every bill have insurance? I'm sorry? Did every bill have insurance? Well, those that are at risk. And it had the, the insurance, if you will, or the word of the, uh, the clearinghouse. Yeah. And these were honest. See, let, you know, I said, what did I say? One-third bills, uh, one-third gold, two-thirds bills. They would always have a little more money on hand than the total demand. The total, you know, let's suppose the discount rate drops a little bit, so you've got a, a small increment of, of loss here, because the discount rate does vary a tiny bit. So banks have their own capital, don't they? I mean, they don't have to cover 99% of this. They only have to cover a tiny portion. Whereas in here, the, the uh, capital losses can be huge. And how do you insure bonds except with collateral? And even, I mean, with gold bonds, you can have your sinking funds and so on, but it still doesn't cover default. And at the end of the day, yeah, it goes bankrupt, the bond's gone, but the system is not affected at all. And even, even when countries went off gold, and collapsed, but the rest of the world was on gold, they recovered because there were others holding the, the fort and whatever. But now, one of the problems obviously, everybody's in the same freaking boat and it's sinking. Yes? Do you think that the, uh, the breakdown of this system would have any effect on the uh, contractive cycle? Well, that's another story altogether. Well, I know. That's long-term cyclical stuff. Okay, let's. We're going to go back out of the box to a bigger picture. All this comes from human action, and when a jet, when the bill is defaulted on fraudulently, whoever issued that bill is blackballed by the the society of 
merchants or whatever, and three generations of that name will not be given credit. They will not be given terms. They will be worked on a cash COD basis. That's not going to work. But after three generations, it might just fade away because human memory is not that long and we don't remember that. So that's something to do with the Kondratiev cycle. People forget how the recession came or the Great Depression. Bernanke studied, supposedly, all this Great Depression stuff going down. How about studying the going up part? It started here, not there. That was just the break. They talk about deflation. Did anybody see a balloon deflate unless it was inflated first? I haven't. See, so you've got to pump it up before it can blow. And if it's, if it's in this naturally balanced, self-balancing system, none of this stuff comes about. Because as soon as it starts to go out of balance, the kickback or the feedback starts to pick up. You know, the thermostat kicks in and the furnace kicks in and so on. I can just back a little point here. Um, it's quite interesting. I, I read once uh, one of the, and I forget the name of the guy who um, said that when he was asked about the Great Depression and described it, that the final question was, when will the next Great next Depression be? And he said, 15 years after the first president, the inauguration of the first president born after the Great Depression. Okay. So, when, who knew that been? Well, I don't know how many years that is, but... Well, okay, so any president born after... Well, there's been a number of them born after 1931, so... Was there ever a so-called depression in the middle? There was a World War II. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> pretty uh, I, I, I understand the principle, yes, this is more or less what I'm talking about, that generational gaps come up and people forget and they do... They repeat the errors in new and more idiotic ways, if you will. So I don't know. That that's, sounds it sounds reasonable to me. Any more? No? Yeah. You've said that the, the whole system as it is now is likely to implode. Well, what can't go on forever will not go on forever. Okay. You know, it's like two and two is four. I can't argue the logic of that. Now, what will happen and how it happens? That's another question. You know, you, it's a present good or not. Once you assume it's not a present good, it's something else, and then you can look at that. So you say, okay, this can't go on. What can happen? Well, you know, first of all, in Greece, people are bartering. They're trading their time and stuff for other people's time and stuff, and they're going outside of the system. Um, there's a very good likelihood that these bills will spontaneously start to circulate. They did before. They, did, they, they circulate through the natural consequence of stuff. Just like gold or silver or whatever became money because of the natural consequence of ongoing stuff, you know, human life going on. And in fact, in, like I mentioned, this petroleum industries, they are used in, in, a, in a vertical sense, but they will circulate horizontally. I mean, if you need food and you've got gas, you know, and I, I think Keith was talking about gold for food, gold for oil, and don't forget that gold is there. It may be hidden in a hole in the backyard, but if somebody is going hungry and the guy's got food, either you shoot him and take his food or you say, yeah, okay, I bought food, I'm alive. So in extremis, that's pretty extremist, quite hungry. Yes. I'm just going to make a comment about the asymmetry between the bond and the bill to a bank that might hold either 
if, if you buy a bond and the price falls, let's say it's a 10-year bond, you could potentially have years and years of sitting on a capital loss, mm. even if the bond issuer eventually pays. Sure. A real bill is, is marching every day towards payment in no more than 90 days. Even if it were to slip a little bit, it keeps increasing in value because it's getting very close. It's on that steep part of the curve at the end when it pays off very soon. So there's not really much chance of capital loss yeah. in a bill. I would say almost zero because you don't want to sell it. You want to hold it. I mean, it's earning you money, and you know it's going to be gold within a few days and more gold than it's worth right now, so why not hold it? And uh, while you're getting into accounting stuff here, all these things need to be... Assets should be uh, accounted for at their lowest of purchase or market value, and uh, debts the opposite at the highest, whichever it is. And of course, both those things are out the window now. It's not mark to market; it's mark to myth. So yeah, that's a good point, and that's why the bill market is—it's so liquid. I—I I I have no problem. I'm very comfortable with lending people. You know, these banknotes and whatnot, if they're backed by these puppies here, not a problem. If these things are circulating, you know, I mean, it has to be a developed system. Worldwide, a uh, professor called it multilateral trade. You know, you, Brazil to France or from uh, Timbuktu to the other place, all bills, and nobody is in control of it. Although clearinghouses have some access to it. But I mean, you can get into the details of this and how. How, the, how this thing shifted gradually into you know, power graph. No, anything else? Questions? No questions? A call it a day? Yeah? You want to have a scotch? <laughs>